podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yo, yo. When I spit bars in a ring, man, I go hard like Santan. Hello and welcome to another live episode of Touchline Fracker. It's still that kind of weird Christmassy sort of period, so we're streaming this week's pod. Uh, I'm joined by three esteemed gentlemen I'm hoping have uh, started 2024 off in earnest. I'll introduce them in order of appearance. Uh, Dr. Mike, your first appearance of 2024. How goes it, sir? Listen, Happy New Year, brothers. All good. You can't complain. Life is good. You know, yeah. God is God is still good. Yeah. You love it, man. You like it. I love it. Also joined by Tachiguna's finest, uh, Dan Coogs. How goes it, bro? Yeah, I'm all right, man. Life is fantastic right now. And then yeah. when it comes to football, it's it's not so great. So um, it is what it is. I'm here. Pete, the, the street's been calling for TG reps. So I said, yeah, I need to make sure I'm on this week. So here I yeah. am. Yes, that's good stuff. You're like a much beloved pod within the network, you know. So when you don't appear, uh, even more so after your team doesn't have the best results, it casts, you know, doubt over your the, the, the genuine nature of your Steam members. So I'm glad you've like taken the baton this week. I'm hoping you guys can kind of set it up in a way that every week somebody from Touchy Gunas is around on a Sunday. I mean, we've been doing the pod for the same time for the last, I don't know, half a decade, Disu? Not sure, mate. Um, Disu, how goes it? Not too bad, brother. Not too bad. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We podded other days. Not really. Is this the first pod of the New Year? Uh, yeah, you went on Mugger. The last main pod was the last pod of 2023. Okay, okay. Within my hosting arenas, like knowing where we are within the calendar years, like you know, part of the to do list. I worry about the Happy New Year's, and you just worry about the responding. Yeah, no, I can't lie. I said after the 5th of January, no more Happy New Year's, man. <laughs> that's, that's classic. That's classic. Disu. Before we start, I've got to do the usual and plug the socials. If you're somebody who's watching along with this live stream uh, and you're not subscribed to the YouTube, please do so. A lot of the different pods post their content. And 2024 for us is going to be a year where you're seeing a lot more visual content from Touchline Fracker, the main pod, and across the media group. Uh, if you're somebody who listens on Spotify and you haven't given us a rating, please do so. Five stars, preferably. Tell us why you like it. If you're somebody who listens on Apple and you haven't done it, please do the same thing. Uh, and if you're someone who's not following on the Twitter or any of the socials, please do so. With all that being handled, let's get into the business of FA Cup weekend. The magic of the FA Cup, you know. Can't get rid of this. This is what British football is all about. You know, the small teams, the minnows, taking on the established teams in the Premier League. And winning stuff and having those magical Saturdays and Sundays. Um, are any of you particular FA Cup fans on the uh, live stream? Yeah, I like it. I think it's a trophy that you should never look down. You know, it's one of those trophies. I I, I went to the final in 2022 and we won it, and it was a great day out. So, great day out at Wembley with the, with the boys. Can't complain. Good trophy. Yeah. How about you, Coos? Because you guys have run the most, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I love the FA Cup, man. Um, it's one of my like earliest memories of football, you know, seeing us um win against Chelsea that 2-0. Um yeah. that's probably one of like the the maybe like the first two or three games that I can say I remember for like minute one to minute ninety, um, when I was growing up. And then similar to Mike, I've been when we first won the FA Cup after that, you know. Um, big trophy draft. I went to every game bar the final um, that season. I remember I was on holiday watching a final in a sports bar in Miami, one of the best days of my life. Managed to get to the final um, again when we beat Chelsea 2-1 uh, 
uh, Ramsey header. Um, and that was a great day as well. So, you know, I'm always a big fan of the FA Cup. I don't really understand this concept of, you know, sacking trophies, etc., etc. When, you know, unless you're, you know, a Real Madrid who have won three peaks, Champions Leagues and all of this, um, I think a club like Arsenal, you have to take these cups seriously um, because, you know, we're not we're not guaranteed a trophy every year um, to uh, for me. So, you know, I always think we should be trying to win these um, win these games. So, yeah, I, I, I like the FA Cup. I respect that. It's kind of, you gave your thoughts on the FA Cup and you also kind of like a, a thinly veiled attack on your manager and your result uh, this uh, evening. So we might as well get into business. It was the last game. Well, we've got a game tomorrow against Wigan, but who's really checking for that? It was the big game of this tie of the FA Cup, um, this round of the FA Cup. Arsenal at home versus Liverpool. Uh, for me, looking at it on, on paper, as Arsenal at home, expecting weakened teams. Uh, Liverpool haven't necessarily been the most impressive recently, but neither have Arsenal. But I thought Arsenal would probably squeak it out. You know, it's their pitch, not waterlogged. Grass is grass is great. Um, but, yeah, thanks. Uh, grass is great, but it didn't actually turn out that way in the results. So let's look into I'll come to you first, Dr. Mike, to the victor the spoils, as they say. Um, what were your thoughts going into this game? Talking about the lineup, talking about your expectations, you know? I think going into the game, I thought it was a game, it's the least important game in a run of games we have coming up. We have the semi-final on Tuesday, I think it is. Then we have a league game after that. And, I, and to me, for me, the focus is on pushing really hard in the league, pushing really hard with the League Cup, pushing hard in Europa League and, and, and trying to see what we can do in, in all three of those competitions. The FA Cup for me was a free hit. I thought he'd rotate more heavily than he did. Um, he didn't. He's put out a strong team. And I guess the manager will probably put the strong team out because he wants momentum, rhythm, um, and he wants to see what it looks like without Salah. And I guess this game might be a precursor to the game we're going to play in the Emirates, at the Emirates later on um, in February, I think. Start of February, we're going to play them against the Emirates. So maybe you should see a few things for that game, because Salah probably misses that game too. So yeah, I, I kind of just like looked at going, went into this game. I think a lot of us in the cop chat were quite like laid back about it. A loss wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. A victory was always going to be nice. Like beating Arsenal was, is always nice. Um so, so yeah, I was kind of laid back going into the game. The lineup did those did really surprise me, though. I was surprised by how strong it was, but at the same time, like the games kind of work out in a way that means that we can like rotate a few players and 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 it be okay to kind of go strong today. So yeah, just a uh, really really happy with the result. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit later. But yeah, going into the game, I was I was I was really really laid back about it. Fair Cougs on your end. Obviously, you've kind of ended 2023 not in the best form at all you lost to West Ham you lost to Fulham uh you haven't kind of established that gap you wanted between yourselves and City with the absence of KDB he's all talking about listen I'm coming back and I'm going to be the best player in the world so you know what time he's on um what were your thoughts going into this game yeah I think I think this game was more important for us than it was for Liverpool um to be honest, coming off the back of that bad form, I think there's one win in six in all competitions. There's a couple of draws there in, um, you know, the Champions League um, and in the league as well coming into this. So I thought we needed to come at first game of the new year, put in a performance, show that, you know, what we've been seeing in the past few games, Fulham, West Ham, etc., cetera, um, was more of a blip rather than, you know, something that is... Uh, like a terminal problem, basically. And so, you know, <laughs> the way we started the game, I was thinking, yeah, you know, we've got something for these men. I think we had more than a few chances to um, take the lead. Um, and I think, you know, if we did take the lead, I'm not sure, you know, whether Liverpool 
you know, given the way that they played in that first half, would have had the encouragement that they did. But, you know, as we've seen time and time again, all the years we've been watching football, you don't take your chances, you're going to get punished. And, you know, any Premier League team can do that, let alone, you know, the team that's top of the table right now in Liverpool. So when that when we went in to the game nil-nil, I did fear the worst, really. Um, I think Liverpool started the second half pretty well. But then we still had, you know, I think two or three guilt-edged chances. I think the best one, pro, the best ones probably fell to Saka, who is going through, you know, quite a poor, um, uh, you know, period of form at the moment. And that's coming at the same time as all of our other attackers as well. Um, and so, you know, we might you know, speak on the manager, this, that and the other. And like I say, in all my chats, people are like, oh, no, we, we will. Talk. Don't you worry, brother. People are like, you know, we need to think about this guy's future. We need to do this, this, that and the other. And, you know, my main criticisms of the manager is not really for any of his coaching per se, right? Because I think if you look at these games where the build-up is fantastic, I think, you know, bar um, Fulham, where I think it was poor, but you look at these games um, where we're dominating, we're creating chances. Like, in this game, in that first half, we literally should have been 3-0 up, you know? The press is really good. Our possession, we're really good. So I'm saying this guy clearly knows what he's doing, but my issue with Arteta is that it's pro he probably is a bit too slow to make key adjustments, right? And I think we've seen this throughout his whole um, career at Arsenal, which probably a learning, you know, learning curve for him. But today, why is this? You, you've been hooking Martinelli, um, I think, every game for like the past like eight games. Why is this the first game where you decide to start someone else left wing, right? You've been seeing that Gabriel Jesus has been missing chance after chance after chance after chance. Why is this the first game that you decide to start someone else um, at, um, at number nine? And again, for me, I think all of these names, I'm literally doing my utmost to ignore them, but they're killing me, yeah? Um, and for me, it's like, if you look at the way that we've allocated funds, um, I think it's it's complete mismanagement, right? If if I came to you and I said, you're going to spend 105 million on Declan Rice, that's banked, yeah? And you have another area of the pitch that you need to go and... Um, you know, refresh um, and certify after you've been chasing Pedro Neto, you've been chasing Mikhailo Madrid, right? And you've been watching Gabriel Jesus miss BCM after BCM after BCM. You need to go and refresh that front line and instead you go and spend 65 million on Kai Havertz and talking about his versatility, then you're only playing him in one position where he looks dreadful. I think that's poor, you know? So I'm looking at him and, 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 and I'm asking him to, you know, you need to make these adjustments quicker and you need to, to stop hoarding talent because now where you know you've spent this amount on uh Kai Havertz and Declan Rice that's the majority of the budget been blown this summer you bought in um, a goalkeeper on loan because now we're you know pushed up against FFP and I say to you all right what can we do here Eddie and Ketia okay how much do you actually rate this guy yes fine you're talking about his attitude. You're talking that you're seeing him, you know, lambast Lakonga on the Amazon Prime documentary, this, that, and the other. But when it comes down to it and we need a goal, you're bringing him on for the last nine minutes of a game. You know, if if Jesus is missing, Eddie Nketiah is not starting in the Premier League ahead of Gabriel Jesus. So why why are we doing this thing with Eddie, with Smith Rowe, with Reese Nelson, where it's like, if you really rate this guys, these guys, you would play them way more than you do right? And they would be getting way more minutes, but you don't want to sell them and actually invest in someone that you do trust. 
um, that, that you do trust to, to rotate with these guys. So, you know, I look at this and I say, if you really want Pedro Neto, let Smith Rowe go. Let Nelson go. Sell them this January. Let Nketiah go this January. Because, look, it came to a big game now. Eddie's fit. You started Havertz up top. So why are you keeping Eddie here when there's six Premier League teams that want him for 30 million? You know, FFP, they're talking about pure profit, right? If you get 30 million for, for Eddie and Ketia, that gives you, what, 100 million to spend in terms of FFP if you're amortising out over the five years, this, that, and the other. Like, it gives you money to spend. But the you don't want to do that. Yes. <laughs> but, but, you don't, but you don't want to do that. So to me, he, he, he doesn't help himself in this stuff. And, you know, what we're seeing on the pitch at the moment is not, not really that good enough. Fair, thank you, Dan. That was very passionate, Ran. I appreciate it. Disu, you were watching the game as a, as a neutral. How, how did it play out for you? Did you feel like Liverpool deserved the win? Were Arsenal just poor finishing in front of goal? Was it an even sort of game? How did it play out for you as a neutral? Uh, as a neutral, um, I want to say neutral because I have a very, very strong dislike and distaste for both, both sets of fans. So I want nothing but mutual destruction for both. But I think today's game was a smash and grab. I think Liverpool shoplifted them. Do you know what I'm saying? The Arsenal went through all the aisles, pick up the milk, you know what I'm saying? The nappies, the meat, the avocados, orange juice. Got to the checkout, about to, about to put the put the trolley and put the trolley away, put the bags in the boot. And then Liverpool came and just snatched it, cuz just, just give me that. That's what happened. Um, I think Arsenal were should have won the game quite comfortably. I thought they played they played pretty well. Like they were doing Pretty much everything great. They defended well. Every time Liverpool tried to attack, they stamped it out. They were pickpocket Liverpool in midfield areas and half the pitch. They were circulating the ball well. They were, they were counter-attacking well. They created a big chance after a big chance. And even not just the big chances, there was even moments where a good touch or the right pass makes an even bigger chance. So I think the result is actually like... <laughs> the result is funny because re-entry also should have won. Like If, if Liverpool lost 3-0, they couldn't have complained. Right, they, they literally could not have complained. But again, the players in front of goal were really, really bad. Havertz, you're not surprised with what Havertz was putting up. But Saka was a surprising one. Um, I don't think he had a good game. I think he's still an Alcatraz from Joe Gomez. So that's two games in a row. He's an Alcatraz. Maybe he can appeal and get out in time for the February game. But he missed some good opportunities. But Havertz, this is what Havertz does. Do you get what I'm saying? I think Arsenal's midfield was really good. I thought Rice, Jorginho, and Odegaard played really well. Mainly. Odegaard and Jorginho, in my opinion. And I think Arsenal defended well. But if you don't take your chances, you're always liable to a Trent special, who I thought was excellent again today. And then obviously a counter-attack is what happens when you're when you're down these, um, these amount of goals. But I'm interested to know what the Arsenal fans think in terms of how they solve this. Because earlier, on, I think for we've played at, what, 20 league games? I think a good, at least half of them, Arsenal looked quite tepid in attack and creativity and the ball circulation. I think in recent weeks there's been games where they've actually quite created quite a lot of chances, but they're not they're not taking them. And they don't really seem to have anybody that's clinical right now. Uh Martinelli's historically clinical, but he hasn't had a good season so far. So interesting to see what Arsenal fans think the fix is. Is it buying more players or is it just keep pushing and the players will start to click and then they'll start to take their chances? But yeah, I think Arsenal should have won a game. I can't say it's a robbery because take your chances, you get what I'm saying? But Liverpool will take that. And also, Liverpool looked like who was missing today? Salah and Van Dyke. The Liverpool team looked completely different. It just looked like a bunch of any, just a bunch of any use of Allison and Trent. <laughs> you get upset that the team looked really, really bland. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal without um, Salah for Afcon. But yeah, man, hold that Arsenal.
Yeah. Coops, I think within that, there was a kind of a question for you. So you've kind of spoken about, you know, getting the likes of Eddie and Ketia out and using that money to strengthen the squad. I'm interested in discussing, I guess, trying to separate like how the games go from how your fan base tends to react to them. Because I think there's a difference between like, you know, the game against West Ham where on the balance of chances, you play that sort of game 50 times, you're going to win the game 48, 49 times. And the game against Fulham where you were like, poor, you didn't create any chances. The opposition came, they stifled you and they were well worth the win. Again, this you said, if our, if Liverpool had lost 3-0 today, that they couldn't have been annoyed about that. So that again suggests that in terms of the process, so this is the part that I look at the manager at the most. How are you helping us get the team into the position for the talented players to then consistently take advantage of it? That is being done on the pitch. What is then happening in with the players' execution and how do you kind of um, separate the performances from fans then coming out after the game like, this player's crap, that's not good, Arteta needs to leave. Because I saw the XG and I think you comfortably won that on XG and it comfortably won that on the eye test. So, yeah, we'll be eager to hear your thoughts here too. Yeah, I think, I think you know, the, the big problem is for me, um, and I've said it on, the I think, the last pod that I was on, is that if you look at what the top teams do every season is they invest in their attack, they lean into their attack. I think Arsenal just haven't done that under Arteta, right? So if... I tell you, in four seasons, we spent six hundred mil uh, million pounds, but only um, 60, 65 million of that ten percent has gone on the attack. It shows, right? So when you, when I say our defense looks good, our build up looks good, that's where all the money's gone. Do you get what I'm saying, right? So I look at this and I say, really and truly, if I look across to Liverpool, what's the age of their attackers? The guys they really rely on to bank, right? Like Salah. He's, you know, probably on the end of his prime looking like this, you know, 31. But look at the rest of the attackers. Jota, Is that still the best right winger in the world for you? Keith? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Without without, without question, right? So um, you got Saka. Really? I, thought, I, thought, I thought somebody else was going to be the best. I've, I've never said that Saka is, and you can you can search, search it. You said, I, said, I said he will be. And I've still got a year, G. I don't need to talk up Saka, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I think people can do too much on him, right? But I think, you know, I'm a big fan and I'm definitely biased towards him, but I don't need to put him in places that he's not, right? Like, Salah's clearly better than Saka. That's fine for me to say, um, to be honest. But my main point is, you look at... Uh, um, Liverpool's attackers, right? Um, Diaz, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how old is he. 27, 26? 26, 27, 27. Jota, 26. Are you going to rate with these men, though? It's not about whether I rate them or not. Why are you talking about the ages? It's, 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 because, it's because I think, right, when you, when you talk about the guys that you can rely on consistently, with a 22-year-old, you might be an elite 22-year-old. Right, you might be a very good 22 year old, but you're gonna have peaks and troughs. You're not gonna be as reliable, I think, unless you're a special, 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 special player um, to perform every single week. It just doesn't happen, right? And, and I know people say, "Oh, look at CR7, look at Messi when they were this age, look at Haaland." Da, 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 da. But these guys are absolute freaks of nature. You know, I don't think Martinelli and um, Saka are necessarily in that world class bracket immediately um at this at this present time that maybe they get there eventually but i don't think they're there now and i think that's just a fact you look at man city what they've done in their attack they 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 bought amaris you know they bought um 
100 million on you know Jack Grealish, who whether you think he's that guy or not, you get a consistent level base level performance from him. Um, you look at Haaland that they brought in, they spent and they spent and they spent in their attack. They brought Doku in this season, who is young, but you know what you're going to get, especially from you know, sort of a beating a man, etc. etc. kind of thing. So, I just think we haven't invested enough into the attack, and it shows you you rely on someone like Eddie and Ketia, but you don't give him enough minutes, you didn't give him any loans, he's not played enough games. Um, to come in, and even though he's, I think, 24, he doesn't have the minutes of a 24-year-old. He's got the minutes of, like, a 19-year-old. Do you get what I'm saying? you got Reese Nelson, same thing, 24 years old. He's had one six-month loan in Holland where he's even been able to play consistently. So then I'm looking at and I'm saying, we've got these three, um, Jesus, Saka, Martinelli, up top. Who do we have buttressed in them that we can come in and support? We don't have anyone, you know? You talk about Trossard, who's probably the guy who is, you know, older, you think he's 28, 29. But what level is Trossard? We bought him for 26 million. This guy was 28 playing his football at Brighton, scoring eight goals in the league. That is not a shooter. That guy's not going to take Martinelli's spot. He's not going to take Jesus' spot. He's not going to take Saka's spot. So what's he doing here at the club? You get what I'm saying? So, you know, we've just under-invested in that front line. And I think it's very, very evident on the pitch. So I, I, I do think... I want to play devil's advocate there, Kook. So if the manager's of the opinion that the, those three, Saka, Martinelli and Jesus are his guys and what he wants to be able to do is supplement them and be able to rotate them out and not have the quality fall off a cliff, don't you think that a Trossard, that Eddie and Ketia are good enough quality no. squad players? Because if you're thinking, like, let's say, for example, Jesus was a squad at Manchester City and that's the level you're aspiring to, the player that had Jesus on the bench is Sergio Aguero. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the level of player that it takes to bench a Jesus is, we talk about world-class and we'll have a discussion about that later in this pod, is a player who's firmly in that world-class bracket, you know? So I don't think Arsenal are necessarily there yet. And I think he has prioritised building other parts of your squad, but it feels like naturally the next place that he needs to spend big in is that forward line. But you don't have a bottomless chest of money. So it's going to take time, No. Yeah, but that's my point about resource allocation, right? So if I said to you, we need an attacking mid, we need a forward, I'm not spending 65 million on Kai Havertz. Yeah, I'm just yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a manager preference thing. So that to him that to him he was he was addressing that in buying Kai Havertz. That hasn't so far materialized in that regard. But if he's tried to buy a player who can play, you know, left eight, false nine, wherever else he kind of shows up on the pitch, from his perspective, he has tried to put some money towards addressing that issue in the squad. It just hasn't quite materialised, right? Mm, yeah, but for me, if you watch the guy for the last three years, is it a surprise that that has not materialised? Dan, Dan, okay, big question for you then, Dan, because you've spoken about a lack of investment, you're unhappy with the players you have in those positions. You're the Arsenal manager for the day. Who would you want to sign for Arsenal? Who are the for players me, you're looking at? For me, um, I don't think you're going to get a good striker in um, January. Right, so I would invest. Um, I would sell in Kenya, right? Number one, I would sell him. I think we have players who can play number nine. Um, if Jesus isn't there and still be more effective than Eddie, so he's the first one that I would sell. Um, and I would go and put whatever Wolves will take to sign Pedro Neto personally. He can play both sides to a highly, highly um, effective degree. You can sit Saka down. Sometimes you can take him off at 60 minutes. You can sit Martinelli down. You can take him off at 60 minutes. And the quality doesn't drop. So right? devil's and advocate argument on Neto, right? Because I'm a huge Neto fan. Neto, to me, doesn't look like he will be 
He looks like a sort of player that plays. He's obviously a top player, so let's be absolutely clear about this. But he doesn't have the sort of play you need in terms of what Arsenal need at the moment is a player who's one in two or can become one in two at some point in the future. You're not going to do that in January, though. Yeah, not not so in January, but I think if you're investing in your forwards, right? So Neto might block you from buying the players one and two in the summer, is what I'm saying. So it might be that what Arteta needs to do is wait it out, and then in the summer, put all your chips like he did with like he did with Declan Rice, put all your chips this summer in a killer who's going to be one and two, because Neto for me is a really good player, but I don't think Neto is a one and two. I think that's the sort of player that could score ten goals, get ten assists, but be amazing, but not a killer. Yeah, killers. My thing is, we need that and we need a striker. So then in summer, I'll find a striker as well, right? So Arsenal are not Who would striker be? Would it be Oshiman? Is that but, the one you're looking at? For me, I do like Oshiman, but... Um, <laughs> um, I do like Oshiman, right? But one thing today that, like, after seeing that Jesus injury, I can't deal with another injury-prone striker. So I've looked at, you know, Oshiman's injury record um, and it does worry me quite a lot. So when you go and I think they're saying 120 million euro as his... Um, release clause um yeah, and you pay that and this guy's only going to be available for 20 games i'm not sure um that's the one ivan tony i do think he's a good player i'm not sure about his fit for arsenal um and the price for ivan tony i'm not really with it um to be honest when they're saying 100 mil for ivan tony i see um there's a couple of other you know strikers Rafael Leao, is, he, is he a player you're, you're a fan of I, I, I do I like he's a sort of player with a ceiling that could be like he could, he could explode somewhere. I do, like I, do I do, I do like, I do like Leal. I like, I like, um, you know, Victor Boniface, but it looks like he misses a lot of chances, just like Jesus. So I'm not sure he takes us up in terms of that one and two thing that you're talking about. And then there's a striker at Sporting, Victor Jokeres, that I do like the look of from when I've seen him, um, who is scoring lots of goals in Portugal at the moment, and he was in a championship last season. So that's that's kind of like the guys that I would look at. Dusan Vlavic as well, I think, um, would be a decent fit. If you see how Havertz played today, I think Vlavic could do a, quite an analogous um, performance to that, where you, you, you're not doing too much on the ball. There was no jinky from Havertz, but I thought he was actually effective in his number nine play. But you need that finish at the end, and I think that's what Vlahovic can bring, um, as well as that, you know, sort of back to goal nine play as well. So, well, why do, why do I love Vlahovic so much? Why what? Why do you mind love this Vlahovic brother so much? I, I think I think he's quite techy, to be honest. I think he's quite techy, um, and and I think he has. If if, if it's between sort of Vlahovic and Tony, I don't think there's a big discrepancy with their level, to be honest. Um, Are we but, sure about that? Yeah, yeah. Why? I, I think so. In terms of what I've seen, um, personally, I don't think there's a massive, massive difference in their level. But what I like about Vlavic is he seems like he's more hungry to score goals. Like when he lays it off, he sprints into the box. And I think Tony's more of a jogger for me. So that's, that's this, this is this is a brother who's not even one and two for Juventus. Juventus, he was one. He was more than one and two for Fiorentina. I think Juventus' style doesn't necessarily um, lean towards. You know, lots of chances, etc. But I think he takes. Well, but, but, good... but, but Brentford's chance, but Brentford are the chance creating demons, right? No, but I think they play to Tony strengths way more than what Juventus do. You men are disgusting. You deserve it. I hope you get Vlahovic. I'm not gonna lie. Question for you, Dan, as well. Seeing as well on the on the subjects of Arsenal, I think we focus a lot on Arsenal in this segment, which is interesting. But um, have you now changed your? expectations for the season because I think in the in the summer and you know I did my rant you know you don't know what it looks like rant that was off the back of you and the other Dan talking quite crazy you know you're talking like look have belief in your team what did I say that was crazy I think 
one thing I didn't like the Arsenal fans were doing in the summer and the start of the season was writing other teams off as very positive. I think you did. I think you no, did. I didn't. No, I didn't. I think you did. You said, you said, you said, it was after the Tottenham game, I remember. You said that... I made a, I made a prediction. Team. I made a prediction. I didn't write you off. Are you got to let the brother speak? Let me speak. After the game, you said, you, after the Tottenham game, we lost the game 2-1. And you said, based on what you saw, you think both teams were going to fade out and finish in the top four somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where what's happened now is, the season, the period you just had now, I call the, the period you just had now, the Christmas period, is your chain real? Is your chain real? So can you win back to back and see and, and get it cooking? Over that period, our chain is real, your chain isn't. You've shown over that period when it comes there's to games. 18, there's past, 18 games left, man. I'm talking about this period just now. So why is that the period just now? Why is that is your chain real? Because last season we came that through period that period. For me, last season Christmas. we came through that period, top of the league, five points clear. Was our chain real last season? No, it was not. Right. So yeah, it wasn't, it why wasn't. are you calling that period the is your chain real? I think real. Period? I think so. Just because so Liverpool think, did well in that period. Let me land. Let me land. Let me land. There are two. There are two periods that I think are decisive in the title race. I think the period in December we have seven league games is hugely important, right, in terms of staying in touch. I think that period, obviously, at the back end of the season is really important. I, the reason why I say this period was, is your chain real? is because I remember the season we had uh, with City a couple of seasons ago, where we, we, we finished behind them, unfortunately. Chelsea were also in the mix that period. And I remember thinking, you know, not all three teams are going to stay in the hunt post-Christmas. They're always, there's always going to be one team, when it's a three-horse race over from the start of the season, one team always falls off. So I'm saying, in the context of this season, this period was, is your chain fake or real period? The first one, they're going to have a second one, the climax in the second half of the season. But for the first half of the season, I think what Arsenal have shown right is, be, you know, they're a good team, but the way your fans are talking doesn't match up to the level of your team. You don't know what it looks like. Okay, so was that a question for me? It wasn't a question, it was just a, a comment. You said, <laughs> no, because you started well, you can, But you, you can go, you, you can go. Yeah, kind of a question, but also, you know, just me flying off. Okay, there's 18 games left, right? So, um, when you talk about, oh, that's the is your chain real... Da, 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 da. It's the first, the first is your chain real period. The second the one's coming up. Okay, so City level on points with us at the moment, is their chain real? City heritage says their chain is very raw. Okay, so, so yeah, but it's, it's heritage. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's it's heritage you're talking about, right? So it's like it doesn't actually matter that two games ago we were top of the league. So two games later, our chain is now fake. Is that yeah. what you're telling me? So in two games, if you drop, <laughs> if, in two games, if yeah. you drop, if, in two games, if you drop points and we go back ahead of you, is your chain then fake? Our chain's never fake. <laughs> the bus down. Your, 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 your the bus, bus down. down chain. Your bus down chain. Remind me what happened in the last two league seasons. Why? What, what happened? Dan, 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 uh, pod to descend into the mano el mano. You two guys have every I'm time. Just no, no, I'm just I, asking questions back because yeah, what you said I, doesn't make sense. Yeah, I I, pre- I appreciate your perspective as well, Dan, because you also have to understand who you're dealing with when you're dealing with Doctor Mike. He's here to incite. He's here to get people stirred up, and it's kind of worked on you hook, line, and sinker once again. Um, so let's keep the got him right where I want him. Yeah, let's, let's keep the conversation. All the veins really popping out of his head. I'm 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 I'm. I'm I'm calm, you know, but the thing is, <laughs> no, you are not calm. I'm calm. The thing is, the thing is, though, 
The thing is, though, the thing is, the thing is, I'm actually the thing is, I'm actually calm. But what I don't like is when man yeah. just say anything. Yeah. I retort. Yeah, you don't have a like a valid response back. But then I'm the one that's hot. Do you get what I'm saying? No, but you don't, you don't say it's definitely not real though. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. No, 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 no. We, 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 no, we've seen. The chain's not real. We, there's 18, there's literally 18 no. games left. There's 18 games 18 left, games 18 left. months left, 18 weeks. Your chain is not real. We will see. We will see. So, Dan, Dan, Dan Sam, back to my question. I I remember, test, and it's Dan, not real, bro. It's not real, Dan, bro. Have you shifted your expectations for the season? Because I think ultimately, Dan. If you if you put your neck on the line, none of this humble talk. You expect it, or you, you you're desperate for Arsenal Football Club to win the league. You haven't seen it since you're ten years of age. I think it was maybe can't probably remember it that well. You're 12. desperate for it to happen. Twelve, okay. You kind of maybe remember it because Lundberg's goals in that season. Maybe you can bring some memories back. But it's hazy. You want it badly. Is it going to happen this season, Daniel? Wait, no, I don't think so. To be honest, then your chain's not real, better. So you're agreeing the chain ain't real. I don't. I don't feel Liverpool's. I don't feel Liverpool gonna win it either, though. So okay, is, that, right. is the chain real? Well, well we will see. Real, we will but, see. Yeah, but that. But, but my thing. This is what I'm saying. Right? It's, it's not real, bro. It's okay, okay fam. That's 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 fine, bro. That's fine. But what I'm what I'm what I'm saying is what I'm saying is this: Who would you put? Who would you bet your money on to win the title from this stage? City. So does that mean Liverpool now being top after 20 games? Does that mean their chain is real? No, I don't think their chain is real either. So, so what are we doing here? Your chains are real, but Liverpool, yeah. a Liverpool fan is telling me that about about chains being fake. I don't care. This is also not real. This is a chain that's not real. Off. Look, look, I think I think ultimately, Dan, we have a bigger chance of proving if our chain is real or not. I think yeah, ultimately, you, you, I think we've asked you. I think what oh, I would so say. So this is the competition. Was... So this is the competition to see who's got the best face. Yeah. Is that yeah. What <laughs> no, it's not quite. Give me land. Yeah, exactly. Let me land. Exactly that. It's it's the one. Let me let me land because I because I don't think I don't think the league for me is a foregone conclusion that City are going to win it. Right. So I I think we're in a good position now, where we're five points clear of them. Yes, they have a game in hand, of course. But I'd rather point to the board. Do you think if you play like today for the rest of the season, you man are going to win the league? We won't. That's the thing. So I think on today's game as well, because we've spoken a lot about Arsenal, we can talk about Arsenal in this game. I think the first half, Arsenal were, were fantastic. I thought Arsenal's press was really, really good. And I think ultimately, Arsenal are a good side. You remind me a lot of that Chelsea team from a couple of years ago, um, the kind of 21-22 team, where they're hard to beat, that Chelsea team, right? They get to two cup finals that season. I think they, they lose to a quarterfinals to Real Madrid in the Champions League. They're, they're a really good team. The problem that team had was they missed chances. And the players they had in the final third weren't of the quality to finish chances. Havertz, I think, was part of that team. Werner, not killers. Arsenal had the same problem. And I, re- I I knew as soon as the first half finished, we'd win the game. And do you know why? Because you'd had your spell. You'd had your period in the game where you'd missed loads of chances. You'd been dominant. They, they you'd had 14 shots. I think they had, they had periods in the second half, but the, the actually oh. in the second half was... Let me let me finish this. Uh, this, this, is let, this, this is what I don't no, like. no no no. Let me finish. Let the me finish. No. Wins, man let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. I'm not capping. The reason I knew you'd win is because I feel like Arsenal at the moment it's become a thing within their fan base in the stadium before the frustration after every missed chance in the first half that they are missing chances. So the reason why I thought we've survived their big spell, I thought of course they're going to create chances in the second half. But I think we will have moments on a transition. We won't dominate the game. We'll have moments in transition where we can hurt them. That's why I thought when we survived the first half and survived the onslaught, the dominance, the pressing, the, the really good attacking play from Arsenal, I thought we have a chance here. 
So that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we battered them in the second half. I'm just saying that we survived the moments of pressure in the first half. We survived 14 shots in the first half. In the second half, they were never going to pen us in and have another 14 shots. That's my point. Fair, you, you, fair. You, you got the better for Nucci, man. It's cool. <laughs> cool. But, but Dan, but Dan, look, we might not win the league, but I'm I'm very confident. I'm confident that we can make a big push for it, right? I think, like I like I've always said to you, and I've said to the others in the pod, I think when you have players of Allison, Trent, Salah, and Van Dyke's quality, and you have three or four of those guys in the pitch most weeks, okay. you're gonna that's, you're gonna have a good chance to football games. I think ultimately Mine. the difference the difference between us and you is you haven't got players in that caliber yet. That's I think fine. Saliba will be in that calibre at some point. I think Erdegaard could be at some point. But at the moment, we have those four players. And I think the reason why I'm confident is because those four players are match winners. You see Trent today, strike, stroll, strolling around the carpet like he owns the place. Mm. Some of the passes he's playing, effortless. I think, ultimately, quality is decisive. And I think we have the quality to win this league. We might not win it, but we have a better chance of winning it than you guys do. Yeah, OK. That's, that's fair enough, right? That's fair enough. And this will be the last thing that I say. is like, If you actually look at the performances of the two teams... Right, like I, I, I can categorically say that we played better than you today. And if we play like that, the same way that we played against West Ham, against Aston Villa, um, against Brighton, in games that we not not necessarily won, I personally think that Saka is not playing at his level right now. I don't think Martinelli is playing at his level. I even think Gabriel Jesus, yes, with the misses, but he actually goes on streaks as well. Right, that mm. just because we've lost a couple of games doesn't mean that now we're just going to be losing every week. Like I said, like I said, Daniel, you're a top, you're a really good team. So no, so again, so so to your point about us falling away, we're not nine points behind. Yeah, we're five points. It's just it's a it's a couple of game swings, right? So I'm all I'm saying is when I said I didn't write Liverpool off, what you're currently doing now is writing Arsenal off. And I don't think that's fair. No, 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 no. You 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 wrote Liverpool you wrote Liverpool off, Daniel. Let's be How do I know this is not Martinelli's level issue? Is that what you're saying? Okay, so Obviously, I'm gonna get the calculators out. Yeah, you know I like the statistics, right? But ultimately, I think our left hand side, um, it, it it needs work, and it's not hitting the heights that it's hit in previous seasons. And you know what I think the reasons for that are, right? So Martinelli's underlying numbers ordinarily are much much better than what he's shown this season. What's and I think the, could, could you clarify for the listeners? So in terms in terms of his in terms of his xG expected uh, assists as well, they're normally like. 90, 90 plus percentiles this season, they're way down. So in terms of XG, I don't think he's even in the top 50 players in the league for XG, which is a problem when you're talking about Arsenal trying to score because for me, he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Daniel's given Charlemagne energy. Yeah, for me, for me, I think this is, um, you know, it's a it's a sy- systemic um, issue, right? So, like, even the season before last, where I think he got seven goals or six goals, he was like ninety first percentile xG per game, expected assist per game, etc. So, I think what I we've seen from Martin, yeah, so what I've seen from Martinelli, even from when he first came under Emery, you've seen him shooting in the Europa League, you've seen him, you know, scoring on his Premier League debut and all of that stuff. Is I think this guy is an output guy. Um, but right now, at the moment, we're not putting him in positions to get his output today. And also, he's in bad form, you know, on top of the systemic issues as well. So, you know, for me, um, yeah, I think he has levels to go. Um, I think Saka clearly has levels to go. <laughs> and Jesus, you know, I, I don't really need to speak about him, um, really. He is, he is what he is at, at this point. 
Fair, fair. Thank you. Interesting game. Some interesting thoughts. Obviously, we'll do what we do. We'll continue to pod. We'll continue to observe. You can catch Dr. Mike on Cop and Frackley. You can obviously catch Daniel Coogs on Touchy Gooners. You put out a really interesting article this week on the Patreon. Declan Rice, a midfield hindrance. So if you haven't... Really good that, read, by the way, man. Really good was, stuff. I really so, enjoyed that. Great so analysis, that, man. So, somebody give me the conclusion so I know if I want to read it or not. The answer is no, brother. The answer is no, he's not a hindrance. Let's do a quick uh, roundup of uh, this weekend's FA Cup results. So we had a few teams play on Friday evening. So we had Brentford the Wolves 1-1 draw. So they're going to play a replay. Fulham beat Rotherham. Uh, Tottenham beat Burnley 1-0. A really good goal from Pedro Porro, who has probably the quote of the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Uh, lock me in a prison cell. Let me loose in a prison cell and I'll become the captain or something. Or I'll become the owner. It's, not, it's not absolutely crazy, but he made the quote when he wasn't playing well. Um, that's it. Let me loose in prison and I'll end up owning the place. So he made that quote when people were on his case. He wasn't getting the job done. And now he's been one of the leading fullbacks in the league this season. Um, I love Ange Postacoglu. He, he's so brutal in interviews. Like the, the journalists don't know what to do with him. They, they're getting Timo oh. Werner. They're getting Timo Werner in. What are you guys' thoughts on, on, on that move? Despicable, fam. Despicable. Tottenham's thoughts are... Tottenham have Richarlison, who's a low technical... In terms of technical quality, low technical quality forward. Fairly quick, can get, get a goal, but not the best in terms of hold-up play. Brennan Johnson, again, low technical quality, quick, pacey. No, Brennan Johnson got low technical quality. Uh, it compared to like, for example, like the top wingers in the league. I don't think he's a Matthew. top technical quality. Matthew. Think about I think Martinelli. Right. I think Martinelli. Rashford. Wait, wait. Do you think Ben jo Brandon Johnson's technical quality is low in comparison to Martinelli? I think so. You're out. I mean, in terms of ball striking, you are yes. off, your, off your rocker. Okay, what about ball control and dribbling? Hey, I think Brandon Johnson today from them switches though. They were, they were, they were Martinelli, I think in tight spaces is better than Johnson. It's unusual. <laughs> it's not unusual. His first touch is good. Second I don't think might not be, but his first one is. I think ultimately what what Tottenham needed was a player in the profile of like an Ivan Tony, maybe a player who's like good at their back to goal, can retain possession, like someone who's a bit more technically smooth. Because I think Tottenham's forwards, a lot of them turn over the ball quite quickly. So when you're trying to sustain attacks, if you have forwards like Johnson, Werner, Richardson, these guys who turn over the ball a lot, you're going to struggle to sustain attacks. And I think ultimately Werner's another one like that who can't retain the ball. Technical quality is not the best, I think. So, I'm, so yeah. I'm, 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 let me disagree with you, yeah, because I don't think they lack attack sustainability because of the way they play and the players that have their two fullbacks when they invert are quality. They they can go machine for machine with centre midfielders in those areas, and they've got good midfielders as well. Their issue is for all their play, they don't create enough chances, and because they play so aggressively and they push so many bodies forward, it's like, and I, I also think that. Might not. My estimation is that Angie's doing that because they don't have enough quality in the attack to generate those chances without taking that, that amount of risk. And you just see the missed chances all the time. So I do think that whether you're technical or not, I think a striker or attacker that's dangerous and that can actually convert those moments into a high quality chance or an actual goal is necessary for them. And this but then Werner's not that, right? So Werner's yeah, not that. I don't like the Werner thing because like I charted like a good six, 55 to 70 attackers in recent years, right? So I'm talking wing, left wingers, right wingers, second strikers, strikers, yeah? 
And in terms of and in terms of big chance conversion, and Werner is the second worst. The only person worse than him is Nunes. There's three players that have a below 30% big chance conversion. Havertz at 28 point something, Werner at 25, and then Nunes is bottom at like 21. So we've seen it with Werner. I understand, I can, I can see how people can think that they can make the Werner thing work because he's got very good movement. He creates, he can create chances. He can actually beat a player with a quick shimmy, but that conversion rate is just too poor. Mm. And I just don't think, it's just like having a faster version of Richarlison. I think Richarlison, even though he's gone down and he's finishing, he's still a better finisher than Werner. So, but again, it's difficult to get a striker or attacker on loan in January because if he was that good, the chances are you, you can't get him on loan unless it's very, mm. very peculiar circumstances like a like a Felix. That's like a, a peculiar circumstance, I might mm. say. So, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's one of those ones where I think, you know, Dan Topper said it in the past. It's like, do you bring this guy in because he's available and because he's a body and, or because he's cheap? Or do you bring this guy in because you actually rate them? I do think they need bodies, though, obviously, because um, Sun's away for um, only God knows how long. So I think they do need somebody in an attack. But it'll be interesting to see if they could have actually bought a player. Well, we can, I don't know their, 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 what do you call it, their budgets. But yeah, I'm not sure if any of you lot caught the game. Um, I actually thought that uh, Burnley had a lot of opportunities to actually create a chance and have a, I think they had a few chances, but they really messed up a lot of transitions, but the Spurs fullbacks are so good. That was my takeaway from the game. Udogi and Pedro Porro are like top three in their position already in the league, in my opinion. I, Porro's up there with all of them. Like he is spectacular, amazing goal. But even outside the goal, he's super fast, he's tenacious, and he's comfortable. Some of the passes he plays are actually very, very good. Unbelievable. And yeah. Udogi is—he looks like a. He looks like a flair player in those in the pockets. He's comfy on the ball. Reverse passes, neat one twos. Like yeah, they, they've got a lot of quality there. It'll be interesting to see how they rock this um, this month. With obviously they've got um, Saar gone, Basuma gone, um, Son has gone, Van der Ven and Madison are not, are not yet to return. I think Romero got injured as well. So Van der Ven was on the bench like for the cup game, so he's back. Soon. Oh, oh, he's actually on the bench. Okay, cool. So he should be he yeah. should be local still, which kind of. Offsets the Romero the Romero situation, but again, Davis got injured. I think in in the, in the most recent game, but yeah, Spurs look good, man. That's that. If, if they can, if they can get get their their reinforcements in and be like five points off, they they, they could make it interesting, Steve. Yeah, yeah, doing a hell of a job. I'm interested to see. I'm always a fan of like a player who people are generally down on a manager having faith in them and trying to make something of them because I love the 180 everybody has to end up to you know what I actually thought he was pretty decent you know search your opinions a few a few yeah, months it's, back it's, I said on another day in one of our chats it's very easy to us like we're, we're talking about Reese James today and like right. because what Trent was doing was special that people kind of like in touch with us like chat Duncan on Reese James I'm like it's easy to like rub out Reese James when he's not playing because of injury right. not because he's been poor and he got dropped because right. you know, both playing and both playing at a high level, there it was a it was a debate in the chat. Whether the debate is accurate, whether it should be Reese, whether it should be Trent. I was initially in the Trent camp because I think Trent does things that are like beyond the norm. Yeah. Like actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. If a man says Reese James, it's not like a ridiculous opinion. And now people talk about Reese James like he's like nobody because he's injured and he's outside out of mind. I think that's poor analysis. So I think it's right. interesting to see the takes of people when the player ain't playing well, like Cancelo. That was mm. a good one. People rubbing him out. 
and then he was like one of the best players in the Premier League. So right. yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yesterday's results: Wimbledon lost three one to Ipswich. Leicester beat Millwall three two. Coventry beat uh, Oxford six two. Maidstone United beat Stevenage one nil. Newcastle beat Sunderland three uh, nil in the time where Derby. Brighton beat Stoke four two. Norwich drew 1-1 with Bristol Rovers. Southampton beat Warsaw 4-0. Watford beat Chesterfield 2-1. Blackburn beat Cambridge United 5-2. Sheffield United won 4-0. Maybe like their third win of the season. Bournemouth beat QPR 3-2. They came back from being 2-0 down. Plymouth 3-1 win against Sutton United. Newport drew 1-1 with Eastleigh. Hull drew 1-1 with Birmingham. Freshly uh, rid of Wayne Rooney. Sheffield Wednesday beat Cardiff 4-0. Villa beat... Middlesbrough 1-0, Swansea beat Morecambe 2-0, and Chelsea beat Preston 4-0. Broyard, Thiago Silva, Raheem Sterling, and Enzo Fernandez. So they're, they're through to the next round. And then taking a quick look at today, Luton and Bolton drew 0-0. Wrexham beat Shrewsbury 1-0. West Ham drew 1-1 with Bristol City. West Brom 1-4-1 against Aldershot. Leeds beat Peterborough 3-0. Nottingham Forest Drew 2-2 with Blackpool. Morgan Gibbs-White scored a really good goal. Uh, Man City beat Huddersfield 5-0. Apparently Foden was uh, playing really well today. Yeah. And see Liverpool beat Arsenal 2-0. I did want to ask you guys about Foden this season. So I feel like he's a player who... His ratings have been so interesting because he's only 23-24, right? So I feel like when he was really young, he was shot right into the top of debates based on how talented he was. And he's kind of been able to like maintain that level for quite a few seasons. But I feel like in the last year 18 months people have started to give him a more critical eye feeling that he's potentially overrated in comparison to what his peers have achieved and the expectations uh of his peers but i think he's actually responded in kind this season i think what's really helped has been the absence of kevin de bruyne and where city have needed goals in the absence of erlin harland he's also um kind of stepped up in that regard so i just kind of wanted to go around this week's panel and just get your thoughts on Phil Foden as a player right now. So not how he's been rated in the past, where you stand with Phil Foden uh, as a player and his kind of his reputation as of today. I'll start with special, you, just Special player. Yeah. Blatantly special player. Like, technically superb. And he's, not just got, he's got a bit of athleticism about him. He's got a bit of strength. He's got tenacity. He can burst in terms of his first five yards. Great ball striker in terms of his finishing. Like, and I think he's, he does things out of the ordinary as well. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of like that's why I understand the frozen debate because I think it's a good debate to have where we actually look at players and how they perform and do we just give ratings to players if they're not performing because they play in a super sick team and they can afford to be off the ball for five games and then we pretend that they're amazing because they scored one game so I think that was a fair comparison especially when Arsenal fans were saying our oh, photo keeps getting pushed above Saka but our guys consistently performing and is talented and I think that's a very very fair discussion but is descent. But what I don't like is the essential point where people are now trying to pretend that this guy is not a special footballer, and that is where I I just think it's ridiculous. A guy could be on off form, a guy could be inconsistent, but doesn't mean he's not special. Like he's clearly a special player, and what Pep kind of has annoyed me with him playing out wide and stuff. But in recent weeks, we've seen him play in midfield, and we've seen the performance level improve. He played midfield today, obviously inferior opposition, but you just see the the gal that he has, and ingenuity that he has, and the speed of decision making and his quality that he's even able to score goals. So I think he's a special, special player, and I really do hope that he managed to kind of blossom to the player he could be, because he should be. The so, best is, player. so 
is he the player he could be now? Or let's say, if you were to think no. of where Foden could no. be, and that's like 10 out of 10, what would you say the current Foden is out of 10? Uh, in terms of, well, as a player, for me, he's an 8.5 out of 10. In okay. terms of what he can be in terms of his potential, I don't think he's near it. I think okay. he could be like Rooney S, that type of player where this is the best player in the country. Undisputed. We're not yeah. even with, with the likes of Gerard and Lampard and all these Rio, Terry. This is the best player in the country, best player we ever seen. Like, that is the level of talent that I that what Bellingham see how Bellingham is revered? Right. Is a better footballer than Bellingham. Right. It's a comfortably. Do you know what I'm saying? So he should have see the swagger that we see like Madison play and Odegaard play and De Bruyne play. I'm not sure that comes with you being the undisputed guy in the team and the, your teammates look to you, the coaches look to you in terms of right, how right. the team plays. So it might be a bit of that. But yeah, that is where I see, that's where Foden should be in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think it's interesting because he's always had that, um, he's always played with superstars, right? So he's never had that kind of opportunity to be the player that people are looking at to, to solve problems. Like he's typically there as a kind of garnish to the kind of, the KDBs of the KDBs of this world, the Harlands of this world. You'd say Bernardo Silva has more responsibility in the team than than he does. So I think it has kind of protected him in terms of having all that scrutiny in terms of if a team wins or loses. But it also hasn't really allowed him to flex his muscles fully. It's like he hasn't been given that opportunity to fully see what he can do. And if we wanted to set up and put a team together that was actually built around getting the best out of Phil Foden. What would that look like? So I'm not actually surprised when he tends to have a period like this where KDB, who's usually the leader and who, usually the one who's expected to be decisive, is out of the team and they look around and like, on the pitch right now, who is talented enough to help us solve the problems that we have? Nunez's transfer hasn't gone well. Kovacic's transfer hasn't gone well. I agree with you, Jisoo. Bernardo Silva can be passive a lot of the time, but Foden's a guy who's also always proven he can score goals, he can be decisive in a game against the run of the middle position and also the games against the big teams too. Um, so I'll be interested to see how his season pans out now KDB's coming back into the team. Does he kind of take a back seat again or is he able to maintain some level of good? I'm not going to lie, KDB is so peak, fam. Like, K-Bot, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's bro. Yeah, <laughs> bro, that's yeah. just peak, fam. Instant chaos, bro. Because once he gets into that... Did I see that right channel? Yeah, once they slip him that pass down the t- to the byline, cash money, yeah, panic stations every every time, cash money, bro. Yeah. It's like he knows where everybody is, so he's not just firing it into the mixer. Because remember, remember in 2016 Man United, where we always used to have all the play on the left, and then the ball gets spread out to Valencia, and he'll have all the time in the world, and he couldn't right. find it. Already. So it was not as easy as to just smack it in the mixer. He always finds a quality pass. So, mm. yeah, man. I think one thing I would say about Foden is, and I think the reason why a lot of people have, maybe don't view him as positively as others, is because a lot of people project on Foden what they want him to be rather than what he is. So for some people, Foden's a number eight, right? So they're like, oh, you know, they'll always be disappointed by Foden because maybe he's not incisive enough on the ball or doesn't play reverse passes as much as some other players or doesn't create as much as other players. So that, oh, he doesn't do all of those things, but they ignore the things he does do. And ultimately, I think Foden, for me, the way I view Foden is, Foden's an attacker. I think Foden's a player who's played for much of his career for City as a wide attacker. And I judge him off that basis, that, like, what is he doing versus other wide attackers? I looked at his numbers just now, actually, in terms of, like, all comps for the last three or four seasons. So twenty-one, the 2021 season, the season where City win the league um, the year after we'd won it, they get 60, he gets 16 goals in 50 games. The season after that, he gets four, uh, 14 goals in 45 games. 
the season after that, he gets 15 goals in 48 games. And now he's on 11 in 30 this season. So every chance he gets more than the 16 in his best, he's got so far in his best season. So compared to other wide forwards, those are really, really impressive numbers. You know, so you can talk about maybe the importance of some of those goals or maybe is he as decisive as other players. But this is a player that in his young career so far, for the past four or five seasons, has posted double figures consistently, quite comfortably posted double figures. Assists probably look quite healthy as well in, in terms of his numbers. So for me, I think a lot of the underrating of this player is maybe not looking at what he is and what he does do really, really well. It's trying to pick bones at the things he doesn't do that well and trying to like maybe like say, oh, he should be this player. He should be a number eight. He should be a number 10 because of what he does or what he can do. So I think for me, Foden's a really, really talented player. I do think he kind of needs to nail down the position because he does get moved around a lot. So he's played as a false nine at times, as a left winger, as a right winger. I, I'd be interested to know what he thinks he is. Like, is Foden in his mind a left winger? Is he a right winger? Is he like kind of a player that he wants to play both sides? Does he see himself as an eight at some point? Because I think it would be nice just for him to play in one position consistently. And we know that that's Foden's position. So when he plays for City, most weeks we're going to see him on the left, for example. We're going to see him on the right. Just because I think that, that kind of consistency in terms of position will help him have a more clear identity as well. So I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's as talented as any English player in, we have at the moment in terms of the very best. You know, he's 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 very much up there. I think another thing I would say is, and I think this is, this is something, I'm not having to dig at Arsenal fans when I say this. I think rival football fans do this all the time, right, is when you think your player is as good as someone else, right? So Saka and Foden is close. People think it's close. I personally am a Foden, Foden man. I think Foden's a bit better. But I can understand why you'd think Saka is better, right? I don't think it's an egregious shout to say Saka's better than for Foden. But what football fans do in this era, and I think it's really weird, is when a player gets compared to their favourite player or a player on their team, they do these really petty things of like trying to rub out the other player. So like they start this agenda and this narrative about this player. So the the narrative that some Arsenal fans have started, not all of them, but some Arsenal fans have started is that oh, Foden scores these the fifth goal in a 5-0 win, never scores decisive goals, never scores important goals. But I remember Foden in the season, we were chasing City for the league, scoring very quite a few really important goals. He scored one at Everton that season, he scored one um, at Sheffield United that season. Just off the top of my head, these are goals that come to my mind. So we do it as well sometimes. Liverpool fans have done it with Rich James, which this you just spoke about, where Trent, obviously, I think Trent's better, but I don't think it was egregious two years ago to think Rich James was better. Again, I've always thought Trent was better, but I think we need to understand that it's okay for your player, who you think is better, to be compared to another player who's of, you know, maybe not like a million miles away from that player. Like, it's okay to like just accept that and accept that, that player's a good player too, rather than trying to rub out the other player and, and trying to be like petty about it because. Football fans do it all the time, and it's proper, proper childish. Fair, Coos. Was there anything you wanted to add to the conversation? Re- refer nah, to? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. And I think it's, it's again like the age thing that I mentioned before, right? Is expecting you know really consistent performances from young players week in, week out, week in, week out um, is a very difficult thing to do, right? And I think if you look at the way Pep's managed. Foden's career, he's not necessarily like he's played consistent minutes, but it's not necessarily always in the team. Sometimes he's on the bench, sometimes you know he's not in the squad, sometimes he's starting this and the other. And then back to Mike's point, he's playing in, on the left, he's playing on the right, he's playing in, uh, uh, in midfield. And I think and I don't think the positional versatility is necessarily a problem. Like you look at some of the top players that we've seen, um, you know, they call Foden, uh, the Stockport Iniesta and stuff. But you look at Iniesta, um, he played on the left, he played on the right, he played in 10, he played in midfield as an eight as well. David Silva, very similar, played 
uh, on the flanks, play the midfield. It's, it's not necessarily bad. It probably shows that your technical quality allows you um, and your intelligence allows you to play multiple positions. But when you're a young player, you're getting used to the tactical aspects of different positions. It can, you know, sometimes you're overthinking uh, a certain pass, this and the other. And my, you know, um, issue was, is that, you know, people didn't necessarily acknowledge the games where Foden wasn't playing well. That doesn't mean, as Disha said, that you need to start rubbing him out. Mike said you need to start, you know, poking holes in it. What I didn't like was that, you know, people looked at talent and then just immediately assumed that he was the man, you know, and actually, you know, he kind of wasn't the man um, yet. Uh, and I think this season he's really taken um, that responsibility of being, you know, main, basically City's creative hub alongside mm-hmm. Rodri, alongside Bernardo in Cambridge's right. absence. And I think his, he's, re- he's like, he's warming, you know, like you're watching him and it's more than a couple moments in a match where, you know, he does a nice pirouette. It's like, like now he's trying to kill you kind of thing. And he's 23 now, I think. And so this is now the time where you actually expect him to maybe hit that level of, you know, consistency, that two games in three, three games in four, you're going to really give us like an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10, Kind of thing. So you know, I think he's he's doing really well this season. Fair, fair. That's a I think a nice segue into a chat about um, a conversation we discuss all the time uh, as football fans, and one that I feel like we struggle to actually define. And so we're we're having this conversation, and it's a conversation about world class. What defines a world class player? My guy's world class. That guy is. That guy isn't. So what I want us to, I guess, firstly do is try and, from our different perspective, discuss how we define world-class um, and then have a conversation about, in the Premier League, who are the current world-class players. So um, I'll start with you, Dr. Mike. Uh, when you think about the comment world-class or you, you use that as a description for a player, how do you come to a conclusion of if a player is world-class or not? I think there's a particular quality relative to that player's um, position and expectations. For example, for a centre-back in a modern era, a world, world-class qualities would be being good in 1v1 duels, um, being quick on the turn, being good on the ball, being strong in the air. Those sorts of things would be things I would look at. So there are traits in the position, but also a performance level that's important as well. So I think for me, a world-class player is one that performs consistently well at a top level. So they've played at the top level, maybe in the Premier League, they've played in top European competitions internationally, and consistently for a period of time, you know, longer than two years, they've shown that they know what it looks like. And they've shown us consistently what it looks like, you know. So I think that's what it is for me to be a world-class player. Having these particular attributes relative to what's required in your position and then showing that on the, on the top stage year in, year out. Cool. Dan Coos, when you think about world-class, what do you look for? It's, it's consistent, high, top, top-level performances for me. I think it's that simple. You know, you, like you watch players, you know they're world-class because they do special things on the pitch other players don't do and they do it often you know way more often than other players so you know I think if you look at players now Mbappe we don't have to question whether this guy's world class or not because when you watch him he's done it on and they also do it on the big stages in the big in the biggest moments as well and they do it against top teams they do it against small teams they do it you know on a consistent basis and they do it over a stretch of time so you know you you get certain players they have a really really strong year um, and you're like, oh, what is this guy world class? But in the next season, then it's not, it's not so strong. You get what I'm saying? And so it's like, ah, oh, maybe you're not, you're not that guy. You see players, they have a really, really strong patch within a season. Okay, can you 
maintain this over the course of the whole season. Ah, they can't. Okay, so fine. It's, it's just a bit of a purple patch. So for me, Here's a question you meant you mentioned season. So let's say a player starts this season and they're not world class in your eyes. How long do they have to play at a world class level for you to say this player is now world class? Um, it depends on the level they're playing at for me, right? So you know if you are doing a Luis Suarez season, for instance, yeah, where you're doing an absolute madness, flicking other players' heads, scoring at a ridiculous rate like uh, Erling Haaland or whatnot, right? I would say, yeah, I think this guy could be world-class. Then And then if they do it the season after, I'll then probably rubber stamp it. Do you get what I'm saying? Because I think we've seen a lot of the time where one, a player has an amazing season and not able to replicate it again for the rest of the year, uh, for the rest of their career, sorry. Um, so for me, it's about the level of performance and then the consistency of that level of performance is what makes you world class. Fair. And how about you, Disu? Sorry, that's not a young man. You get me? Um, I think world class, yeah. I think world class is like has to be, in my opinion, has to be a particular standard, like an almost like an accreditation. Like I think you could play a high level for a number of years that you could still not be world class because of like. Yeah, your level is high, but you don't have a certain level of ability, excellency. Je ne sais quoi. Elite, yeah. Like a Michelin star, yeah? Yeah. Like, because, like, the, the, the names I've seen given to world class, I'm like, this is nasty work. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's nasty work. But, um, so it's interesting, because when we're having a discussion in our Touch Our Frackers group chat, shout out um, Lewis and Lero from Touchy Gunas, they believe that if you... They see it in a way like most industries see it. If you're in the top percentile of your industry, whether you're a chef, whether you are a cosmetic surgeon, whether you're an accountant, so on and so forth, if you're like in the top percentage, you are world class, which makes sense. But I think sports, I think it has to be a bit more bespoke because what if like bare man, the whole, the whole, the whole thing is mid, and because you are not as mid as other people, you're now pushing to the world class category. I feel like there has to be some form of borders that should be border force on that so yeah for me yeah. It, and i think um i think it's dan soft that coined this a long time ago there has to be a certain level of stardust as well around mm -hmm. you like and and i like um i'm not sure if it was dan, dan or mike who said it, like, you kind of know it when you see it so i think although this i don't believe you need to perform at three four years to be known as world class i think most cases it will come with that but that saliba what we're gonna wait until 2025 to call him world class for him to play exactly the same way he's playing in 2023. Yeah, yeah. I think there are attributes, there are attributes that push you. Mm. You yeah. have certain attributes. Saliba has the yeah. most yeah. obvious stardust. evidence stardust. That was, that was that was an example. That's a good example. This exact name that I was gonna say, right? It's like for me, I saw Saliba's level of performance last season, right? And I was like, this guy is proper, you know, team in the season, all of this yeah. stuff, right? And the only thing for me then is like, can you then come into this season and still perform at that level um, and and you know show that it's not just a one-off season, this, that, and the other, right? So, and I think he's done that. So, if someone says, "Oh, it's Saliba world class," I'll say, "Yeah, I think he is," because I look at this, I look at him, and I look how he plays against the top-class strikers and attackers that he's played against, and he performs, you know, and it's so consistent the level as well. It's like week to week to week. It's rare. You see Saliba drop a stinker. Do you get what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I, I think, I think, yeah, he's stamped. And then uh, another example is someone like um, Hyun Ming Son, right? So it's be interesting to whether you guys think this guy is a world class winger um, or not. Because for me, 
I think he has world-class aspects of his play in terms of his finishing, but in terms of overall game, I don't think Son is world-class. Yeah, for me, in the Premier League, there's like just about 10 world-class players. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on this. So I have to get the table up. And it's actually mad that Aston Villa are currently second. It's totally insane. But yeah. I, think Liverpool, I think Liverpool have four world-class players, and I don't think any of them should be debatable. Allison's probably the best keeper I've ever seen. Trent, Van Dijk and Salah, I don't think anyone will really debate that unless they're just being a bit nuts. I don't think Villa have any... I think City, in my opinion, these are the players they have as world-class. I think Kyle Walker, I think Rodri, Bernardo, De Bruyne and Haaland, that's five of them, in my opinion. I don't. I think Arsenal's sole world-class player is Saliba. I don't think Tottenham have one. I don't think West Ham have one. Brighton don't have one. Man United, huh. Newcastle don't have one. I think Chelsea have two in Thiago Silva and Rhys James. I don't think anybody else is world-class. And yeah, I don't think there's any other world-class players in the rest of the in the Premier League, in my opinion. I think those are the players, in my opinion, that have shown a a elite level of ability and performance. And they have that re- stardust, obviously, relative to the position because it's quite hard to have stardust as a, as a centre-back and a, and a DM, if that makes sense. But I think those are the world-class players. And if you look at those players, I think that should kind of be the barometer. I think there's some other players in the league that I think, that form, in my opinion, I think if Madison keeps this up, goes to the Champions League and does that, nobody can say otherwise. I think he, like, I think Saka's another one, um, Odegaard. I think there's players that show that they're not on the cusp potential of being in that, in that conversation. But for me... Is them man, and if man say they're not sure of Bernardo's world class, I think it's the in Champions League last season. Like it's not even just it. Like bro has completely and utterly dunked on midfields, and it's also his ability level. That level of ball retention is just yeah. phenomenal. There's there's not amount of game state, speed of game, like that he can't adapt to. And for me, I see, but I see Bernardo as a midfielder, not as a wide player. As a midfielder. How many midfielders in the middle third that could win the ball back, pass, dribble, retention, energy, contract to Bernardo Silva in the world? And I think to Dan's point as well, he's shown at decisive moments in the season, he can rise it and he can be yeah. like the best player on the pitch when there's like top, top players in the pitch. I remember his performance against um, Bayern Munich, for example, for City um, in Champions League. Like there's so many moments where he's just... Oh, the home game, yeah, crazy. Moment. The home game, like just proper, like he's there's like players, top players on the pitch, and he's standing out, and he's looking at the best player on the pitch in moments. Like he he he's a top top player, I think, man, world class for me. Yeah, that's that's interesting for me. I think it's um it is about it is about reaching her. That's a comment from Tobes in the chat. It's a, it is about reaching a certain level um of play. So there's no limit in terms of the actual number of players. So I kind of use the example that probably like. A decade ago, we had the likes of Aguero, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Luis Suarez, Lewandowski, Radamel Falcao, Benzema, if you want to put... You had a bunch of world-class Cavani. You had a bunch of world-class strikers all running around. So I'm talking about five-plus. Um, and I'll be very happy to put them all in that world-class bracket based on how good they were. But if you then ask me to have that conversation today, I'm probably only putting Haaland in that conversation. Okay. So for me... Uh, and Harry Kane, obviously. So it's like a certain level Mbappé. of huh? Mbappé. He's, he's a wide. He's a wide forward. He's striker, a really. He's a striker. He needs to he stop. Doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't. No, he's he's close play as a wide man, fam. He, 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 <laughs> um, 
so for me, it's just about getting to a certain level. But then I feel like in that definition that I've provided, it's not clear. Like, so it's very like intrinsic to me. So it's what I think it looks like. Mm. And it's hard to like take that definition and go into a room and be like, this player is world-class, this player isn't world-class. I think we continue to try and search for something that then can be, you know, a barometer. That why we why don't we just create our own board and we just accredit it? Like, mm. you, we send us your tapes, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> look at the numbers. Yeah. We'll give you the accreditation. You look at the numbers and look at the tapes. Maybe you can wear gold socks or something or you have a little gold badge or something or your number. To know, okay, cool. <laughs> that man know that might as well class you get me. Like, my yeah. I think, I definitely think this dude is right though, like, um, in terms of that stardust, right? Because for me, when someone's world class, you actually, like, you just know. Do you know what I'm saying? I think so, there's certain players... Uh, he, he, I'm, I'm an iron. They're probably just not. Do you get what I'm saying? If if it's because it's, I, I think if you go through the players that you watched, you know you can look Thierry Henry, your you know Ruben Nistelrooy in his pomp, your Paul Scholes in his pomp, you know your Steven Gerrards and all of this stuff. You just know. Do you get what I'm saying? Because they they do it. Like, and I think you know a lot of the time football is actually quite a simple sport. That when you watch it and you see the quality, it jumps out at you. Do you get what I'm saying? So I think I a lot of that time... Cooks, mm. Because then you get certain players, like, if there's a narrative against them, then it becomes more fancy. I, I, yeah, that's fair. For, for example, um, like if we take Raheem Sterling, for example, people have not wanted to give Raheem Sterling his juice, no matter what he did. Mm. Even though he was a star boy from QPR days, that's why Liverpool got him, he was instantly a star boy at, what, 17, 18? Key for Liverpool. Goes to City, delivers consistently, putting up goals, putting up assists. He transforms his game from a flying winger to somebody who can get goals on a consistent, consistent basis. And people will actually look at you like you're crazy for calling him world class. People will be sooner, like, if Matoma goes and scores six goals, they'll be sooner likely to call Matoma world class than somebody like Raheem Sterling. So sometimes the issue is obviously no system foolproof, but you get certain players that if the narrative against them is strong enough, like, i.e. Meza Ozil, i.e. Paul Pogba, blatantly world-class players, right? Their country recognises them, international competitions. Everywhere, the people they play against recognises them, on the continent recognises them. But in the country that we they reside in, the UK, Ozil was not seen as a world-class player. Pogba was not seen as a world-class player. Even though, like, with them, it's obvious. So it's, a, it's quite an interesting one. I feel like because we don't get enough objective analysis from, and, I'll, and this is something I want to talk about with you guys, actually. I noticed that there's certain players that, come, I'm not sure if it's commentators like or they relate to, I don't know what the term is, yeah? So two players could do the same action, right? So, for example, I saw it today with Declan Rice, yeah? Who I think had a good game. So there's been there's times where I've seen, uh, I saw Jones get the ball in the corner, it's tight, he wriggled out, passed it backwards. Come Declan Rice did it, and the commentator said, that's brilliant from Declan Rice there. Whether it's brilliant or not, it's not even a discussion, because that's cool. It's the fact that the commentator made a note of it. And I noticed that when watching Chelsea the previous week with Conor Gallagher, all his actions were re-emphasised by the commentators. And that impacts the way people who are watching the game view the game. Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Where, like, yeah, so like for example, like Rashford is a good example. I can't remember who he played recently. Rashford went on a good dribble, took on a couple of players. The financial didn't quite go off. Nothing was said. And then I think it might have been like Garnacho or somebody else who did something. Or maybe it might have been Elanga, who did something similar to Rashford, but not of as good quality. It was like, this is why he's such a dangerous player. And it impacts the way fans look at the game, bro. And that is mm. and that is what's quite nasty. So 
the scary thing about football is that there's not enough objective analysis. And there's, so when you have that, it can really impact how people view a footballer. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I agree. And I think you say people know what it looks like. I, I think the world-class conversation is one that there's no consensus on. People have yeah. some people say, you know, a team of aliens came to play the guys who make the earth team, that's world class. So that's like what 11 players. Um, so I think it's one thing that within yourself, you probably know what it looks like, but once you start to have those conversations, and then people t- they have, tend to have a bias towards their players, you watch mm-hmm. your players a lot more, you watch the players in your country a lot more. You know, when you're watching players in Europe, uh, a good two legged tie in Europe can take your game to the stratosphere. You guys will kind of remember when we used to watch Champions League back in school. A guy has a good game the, the evening before, comes into school. Everyone's saying, that's who I am on the pitch, you know? Yeah. I'm, Kaka, I'm Kaka, you know? So um, it's, it's it's fascinating. It's something that I find really... Do you know well, what? That made me start going a bit Brexit, you know? Because I remember, I remember what it was specifically, yeah? Yeah. I, I was on, tw- it was either on Twitter or just with the man that kicking ball, where somebody said that Marco Royce is better than Gareth Bell. Mm. And it was just before Gareth Bell started moving very nuts. I was yeah. like, basically what? No. Yeah. You know, so how many how many games you've watched this year? No, right. you're not deep in Marco Don't say Marco Royce isn't a good footballer, but and and, and this is why I was I was there's certain midfielders I've dunked on because I'm like, once we get to see them up close and personal, i.e. Thiago Alcantara, yeah. Once mm. we got to see him up and personal every week, a man was drowning, pleading for mercy from everybody. Man's assessment of him changed. Whereas before, if we were to ask who the top players in, who the top midfielders, everybody's like, oh yeah, Tiago, Tiago. Because we saw a couple Champions League games and a couple highlights on Eurofoot.com. So I think, yeah, I think it's very difficult for us to speak with base about other players because you're just doing it based off rep. That's what yeah. you're doing it. Que- question for you guys, based on our discussion earlier, are there any players who are on the cusp currently that you think if they maybe performed to a particular level this season, showed that stardust again, maybe this time next year we're recording this podcast and we're saying, oh, that guy's world-class. Because I think a player I have in my mind is maybe someone like Erdegaard, who I think today actually was, especially in the first half, quite comfortably the best player on the pitch. And I think in the last few weeks, actually, Arsenal have been really, really poor, but he's been often been a really, really good performer for us, a really strong performer. And I think he's got a particular level of stardust a particular quality, I think, that not many other players in his position have. Um, I'm not saying he's like the best player ever in that position, but I'm saying he does yeah. a few things in that position where I think that's what it looks like. I, so, yeah, are there I, any other players that you think are on the cusp of being world-class? None come to my mind off the top. I think, like, technically, Odegaard is, like, a fantastic watch. Um, I think, like, the, the standard bearer for that position, obviously, or that part of the pitch is obviously KDB. And in my mind, I immediately think if KDB had equivalent performances for City in those same games, City are winning those games. Like okay. KDB's top performances, decisive performances, More decisive. Leads, to, leads to his team winning games. The biggest games, the biggest games, the smallest games. And that can be with a Haaland in the team. Without a Haaland, he'll create the chances for guys to score. When those guys can't score, he'll score the chances. Is that fair, though? He'll score the chances himself. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily about me trying to be fair or unfair. It's just, it's just a level. I just think it's just a level. I think Odegaard started this season really poorly for me. I think he was quite anonymous for quite a bit. He's been... Yeah, he was really shocking for the first 15 games, 10, 15 games. So for me, I think he needs to do a lot more. I think if he kept up the form that he had last season, which was him also scoring like a quite a fair chunk of goals too, 
we're probably having a different conversation. But the goals aren't quite there. He's operating in a different part of the pitch now. And his job is more so to kind of get the ball into the final third, feed the attackers. Do I have a different opinion if the guys are maybe scoring the chances that he's putting on them or the plate for them? I don't necessarily think so. I just don't think he's been that good this season, to be honest. Do you not think so? My, my point with Odegaard is I think he has the stardust that we would look for in the top. I think he has the quality, yeah. I don't think he has the performances, though, not this season. Yeah, that's fair. fair. There's certain players that that come to mind in the Premier League. Um, Saka, I think, is the obvious one. For me, Madison, I think, to me, Madison, I just don't think he's got enough stripes yet. And I think stripes, unfortunately, is a part of being world-class. You actually have to have the stripes. I don't doubt, might put Madison in any type of environment he's going to perform. So I think Madison's one is just a matter of time. What's playing in the Champions League? Is it like, playing in the Champions? He's been playing. He's been kicking ball for Leicester. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. That's why they were telling me stuff that weren't true because nobody cares. Right. Now he's still working that people care about. So, so then it got to, it'll get to a point where it's undeniable. If that makes sense. Um, I think Saka's the obvious one, of course. Um, I think to me, I think Enzo Fernandez is one. I think he's a brilliant, 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 brilliant footballer. So and Fro- and Phil Foden, again. Another brilliant, brilliant footballer. So those are the players. Oh, and Livermento. I think Livermento is nuts. I think Livermento is nuts. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few players. I think you know um, they have ability, and it's just about you know whether or not we actually see their performances. So you know when you look at um, <clears throat> some of the Chelsea players, I think there's a lot of talented players in that squad. You know, so one of this year's guys, Enzo Fernandez, this that, and the other. Um, I think he has, you know, a lot of technical quality, um, and it's, if you're mar- able to marry that quality with the application that that talent um, um, allows you to to reach, basically, is, right. is then you can be be brought into that that um, that bracket to be honest. So I think you know Odegaard's a good one. I think Madison is also another good one. Um, you know, I think you, yeah, you've mentioned Saka. Um, I think someone like um, someone like Julian Alvarez. Right for Man City, I think if he was at another team as the main guy, he I think is also very talented that could you know potentially be in that in that bracket as well. So yeah, cool, fair, fair. All right, guys, let's go to the award section for this week. You guys should know the draw by now. If you don't, well, you'll get to know. Uh, let's start with uh, the star of this weekend. I'm going to start with you, Doctor Mike. Just watch your team snatch one at the Emirates. Um, who's your star of the FA Cup weekend? With the start of the FA Cup weekend, I'm going to go with Ibu Konate. And I think I'm a huge fan of this player. I think he's another player that fitness has probably let him down in terms of how people rate him. He's he's often, you know, unfortunately struggled with a few niggles. But when it comes to meat and veg defending, when it comes to winning your duels, winning your battles, can you dominate your attacker? He does that. I think he showed that against Martinelli at Anfield. I think, again, this in this game, down that side, he was just so dominant. And I think he's not a silky Saliba he doesn't play through the league. I mean, he actually can play through the lines. I think a lot of times in the first half, he played through the lines quite well. He's just a bit, he's a bit awkward on the ball. But when it comes to like the basics of defending, winning your aerial duels, winning your battles, he does that so, so well. And I think for him, the challenge for him now is staying fit because when he's fit, he's often just such a strong performer for us. Always wins his battles, always wins his duels. So yeah, he's going to be my, my star of the weekend. Nice one. Uh, Cougs, who's your star of the weekend? Um... I think probably Phil Foden, to be honest, I thought he had a I thought he had a top top game um today. Uh, I think he got a couple goals as well. Um so so yeah, I think 
Yeah, I think he was pretty good in 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 what I saw. I saw like half the game. So cool. Yeah. Uh, this is who's your star of the weekend. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go Trey. Okay. Yeah, nothing, needs to be said. nothing needs to be said. At one point in the game, in his own six-yard box, right across his yard box, and played a perfect 51 left foot pass to Diaz. The things he's doing on the pitch are things you could only do on FIFA. Like that's what yeah. people do on the ultimate team. Like, yeah, he's he's not still. Cool. I'll stick with you, Jesse. Who have you got under surveillance? Oh, under surveillance. This is an interesting one. There's there's, there's, there's a few contenders still. Few contenders steal, but I think I'm gonna say Dan Kooks, German Dan, Yemi, Lou Bob 91, yeah. Leo yeah. aka Education, right? The whole touchy gooners, mafioso. Yeah, yeah. you right. guys are from the DEA. We are watching. We saw how you are chatting about this player and that player, this team. Man, we're talking about different modules. This is a flipping science degree. Tactical layers, yeah, all of this nonsense. They are under surveillance. No amount of Patreon PR is going to shift the surveillance. We are watching. We are everywhere. Fair. Um, Dan Coos, who have you got under surveillance, sir? Well, I don't even know, man. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got... <laughs> I never know, man. Um, I got the whole, I got the whole, I got the whole Arsenal attack on surveillance right now, man. Fair, fair, fair. That's a fair one. That's, That's a fair one. one. And them, boys. I hear it. And uh, Dr. Mike, who have you got under surveillance currently? I'm gonna say Bukai Saka. And before I say, before I, because I, I, I hate to land on this one. I like that. I like a, lot, that. a lot of Arsenal fans. They get emo- when it comes to me, they get emotional. So they're gonna quote tweet this podcast, Doctor Mike this, Doctor Mike that. Get very emotional. Calm down. They're gonna tweet Doctor Doolittle, bro. They're not gonna tweet that. Yeah, they love that one. 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 You know, Doctor Mike. This is anyway. I think Bakaya Saka is quite clearly a top player, a very talented player. I think, unfortunately, last season some Arsenal fans involved in the conversations he shouldn't have been in, and I think ultimately he's a good player. Obviously, a very good player. For England, I was starting in the World Cup or Euros, whatever it is this summer that's going to happen. Really good player. But I think maybe the level that some Arsenal fans put him on and the pedestal he was put on by some Arsenal fans was excessive, right? So we're talking again about a very good player, one I rate, one I'm a big fan of, Godson, all of that good stuff. Niger Boy, all of that, fantastic, great, amazing, fantastic. We all love it. But there were some Arsenal fans that got way too carried away with him. And I think what we're seeing this season is... Quite clearly, a very good player, again, still showing some moments of quality, but maybe not quite as good as some Arsenal fans believed. Again, Arsenal fans, please don't cry. I think he's a very good player, but maybe not what you, some of you guys think he is in terms of being this like unbelievable, untouchable world-class player. Cool, fair. Um, and let's do the final one, Saudi Bound. Who's on the surveillance, Huh? I haven't got anybody on the surveillance this week, actually. Um, yeah, I think... Arsenal will watch Arteta. Arteta is under surveillance, actually. Because I think he's somebody that I thought had done really well last season. He's made moves which have weakened the side, I think, overall. Um, Arsenal were a really good watch last season. Like, rivalry aside, just for the neutral, put on an Arsenal game, especially first half of the season, if you want to watch a team play good football, 
they've been sure. a lot harder to yeah. watch. They they won a few close games at the start of the season, you know, and people are like, we're just warming, we're just warming. Watch when the players kind of get gel and the new players and whatnot, and obviously injuries what and whatnot. But now Arteta, it's like some adversity now. How are you going to react? What solutions are you going to bring in? It's a it's a Harvard style rebuild apparently. Um, so I want to I want to see if he's going to earn his stripes. Um, and then Saudi bound Dan Koobs, who, who's Saudi bound for you, sir? I send um, send Havertz there, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Disu Saudi bound. Um, there's a couple candidates still. Um, the journalist who asks Ange Postecoglou about if he pictures himself winning trophies. And he got absolutely, absolutely blamed to dust. Yeah, yeah, you're Saudi bound. Uh, Jordan Henderson, sorry, brother. No matter, no matter talking you're going to do, you sign that contract, brother. You're Saudi bound. You stay there. You ain't going nowhere. You're washed, son. Yeah, you're washed. And another player who I do think is actually um, Saudi bound is uh, it was an Arsenal player. Uh, oh, it was, I was going to say Habits. Yeah, come on, man. Just, come on, man. It's, 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 getting, it's getting ridiculous now. It's really getting, getting ridiculous. No, uh, and Dr. Mike, who do you have yeah. a Saudi bound? Yeah, I'm going to go have it. Someone tweeted something funny where it's like, when he misses a chance, he doesn't even pretend to be frustrated. Like, there's no, like, emotion. Like, he doesn't even look up to the skies and do that fake prayer thing. He's, he's just like, I miss a chance. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, biz, BAU. <laughs> Meet and veg finishing. Yeah. <laughs> cool, so it seems like Havertz is going to be on a first-class trip uh, to get himself 50 lashes and 500k a week. Um, let's finish up with some listeners' questions. We've got quite a few. Um, Josh Benenot, shout out Josh. He's based in the US, long-term listener. Can this Arsenal team afford to go another season without a trophy? Yeah, it, do, it depends on the nature of how you end trophies, right? Like, I don't think there's a divine right to win a trophy. Um I think if you look at <clears throat> you look at the Liverpool team, right? I and mean, I think part of the reason why they've stuck this plot for a long time is because he's shown that he's elite every time, you know, even though you get picked to the post at the end of the season, they're there or thereabouts. And I think this season we need to show that we can go closer. I think if we went up to like maybe the last seven-ish games, and then after seven, like seven games to go, I think you know, the 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 tide had turned and we knew City were going to win the title. And I think it needs to go further than that. And also we need to have a, a deep cup run in the Champions League. If you do that and City picked to the post in the last couple of games or you get knocked out by Real Madrid, I don't think, you know, you now start to need to throw the, the, bath, the, the bath out with a bath water or whatever it is, you know. Baby with a bath water, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, probably get that yeah, one right. it's, yeah, it's it's um <laughs> it's um yeah, it, it just depends on the nature of, of, of how you go through from this person. But yeah, if we if we like go out for a whimper, then boy, I think yeah, questions are, are valid. I, I would agree with Dan. I think there is a process that you look at as a fan, and like if Arsenal win the season trophyless, but they've you know, maybe the second half of the season they have a really strong push with the league. Champions League, they're a bit unlucky. They lose to Real Madrid in, in this quarterfinal or something. But it, again, you can see a process where in the future, with a couple of tweaks, they can you know push further. Then absolutely, I think it's okay to win the season trophy for this. What I would say is Arsenal have spent lots of money. And I think the aim for the for Arsenal fans of the season, especially people like Dan, who were speaking quite spicy in the summer, wasn't just to the season to peter out without a trophy. The, the aim was to put something on the table this season. I think this season was, Declan Rice is the final piece 
you know, we had this season last season where we pushed our players performed really, really well. We had this kind of midfielder, Declan Rice. We had a utility player in, in Havertz, and we pushed and tried with something big. So I think for Arsenal fans, yes, there is a process you can point to that will be important for Arsenal fans to end the season. So it wouldn't be a disaster if, you've, again, if you've made a good push for the league, maybe lost out to a better team in the Champions League. Um, that process is important. But I do also think that the summer Arsenal had last summer was a summer of a team trying to win something big. It was a summer that we maybe, in comparison to our summer in 2018, where we signed Alisson, Fabinho and Keita comes in. The idea that summer wasn't to be spirited losers. The idea was we're going to win something big. Um, you know, and I think that's ultimately the expectation for Arsenal. What I would say, and I think a lot of Arsenal fans think I hate them. I don't. Well, actually, I do. I hate Arsenal, let's be clear. I hate Arsenal. Um, but I think what I would say is, I think in the Champions League, I look at the quality of teams in that competition. I look at <clears throat> City, uh, obviously, what it is, best team in the world. I think Bayern Munich have Harry Kane, who's a world-class player, can decide any game. Real Madrid as well, obviously, heritage, good team. <clears throat> I think Arsenal, you know, are in the mix for that competition. And I think Arsenal in that competition have actually been shown a lot of, like, they haven't been shown the respect they've been shown in the Premier League yet. And I think it might take a while for teams in Europe to actually understand that Arsenal can cause you problems. So there's every chance Arsenal do really, really well in that that competition. So, yeah, let's see. I think for me, Arsenal, again, the summer they had last summer was to win. It was to win now. But the process is important. And let's see how they end the season. Fair. Uh, That question is from Tayo... Technology, the Ian Technology is a three. Shout him out, sends questions in every week. If Sancho goes to Dortmund and does well, do you sell him in the summer or see if you can reintegrate him under a potentially different manager? What do you guys think? I think his time at United is just done now. I think I'm, I, I was, I've been surprised by him actually as a, as a player. Um, like when I watched him at Dortmund, and again, I don't think United environment is the best for any attackers or for, for many players in general. To kind of sustain good quality performances, right? But he just looks like a different player. Like he doesn't look like he doesn't look to me suited for the Premier League at all. Like he lacks the explosiveness, I think, of a, of a top quality forward in the Premier League. You look at the, the, the very best forwards in the Premier League. You know, your likes of your, your Haaland, your Salas. These players have this like level of intensity and desire that he doesn't quite have. I don't think. Mm. Um, and I think in terms of like the, 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 the kind of like the burst of pace, maybe the kind of. Just doesn't look like he. I think for me, he's a player that would look really good in the Spanish league, maybe in the, in the Italian league, maybe. But when it comes to like being a Premier League player, the more I've watched him, the more I've just thought, I'm not too sure about you, you know. So I think ultimately, the United should just kind of cut their losses and and, and just move on. Sure. How about you, Jesu? Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a cut, man. It hasn't been hasn't been pretty at all. Obviously, he's got into a situation with um with um ETH. I do think he does possess qualities. Um, obviously not to the level that I, I initially thought, but he does have qualities. He's a very good decision maker and like his finishing is very good. So he's got attributes that you could definitely work with. I think he's just got to be in the right situation. And But all at the same time, he's got to get his act together. Like, I'm not, I don't know about the training and his life and all that type of stuff. Like, that's all conjecture to me. I don't, I don't know. But from what I see on the pitch, I see somebody, and I, and I don't usually say this about players, but there is like a distinct lack of effort that, Bro, like, bro's shirking out of challenges and that. And I'm sorry, you're on 350 bags a week, bro. Like, like if 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 you get hurt, you're going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, every, how could everybody be like, I, I'm not expecting, you don't expect him to be a good defender, but just compete for the ball. Like, it's just part of kicking ball. Do you get know what I'm saying? So, he's got, he's got to apply himself on the pitch. And I think there is a player in there. It's not like Anthony, who's like completely devoid of any sort of positive utility as a footballer or a human being, to be honest. So, 
I think there's a chance that Sancho does does all right elsewhere. Fair. Uh, next question is from Mr. A. Palmer. Are Chelsea starting to show signs of improvement and would they be significantly better had injuries not been so prevalent within their squad? Get out of here. Injuries definitely haven't helped him. I think Nkunku's been a big loss, but then he kind of was this player before they signed him. Like he's had a few problems with injuries in the past. So, yeah, are you I, I, I don't know. Questioning their due diligence in making him the linchpin of this side. I think so. I think you need to, especially with the intensity of the Premier League, and we know that, especially like, for example, you have periods of the Premier League where you're playing like games every 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 other day in a way that you wouldn't in the Premier in, in another league. Right. Like, would for example, you have seven league games in December. Mm-hmm. Given Inkunku's history record, like his injury history, sorry, like I don't know, like he, is he the guy you build everything around? Like, is Rich James the guy you make casting given his injury record? Given that we know that he's never really available, like, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. Right. I think it, that, I think that's an interesting point. I think what obviously Inkunku's injuries allowed is for them they, they went and obviously got Paul Palmer. So he's established himself really well the first half of the season. Uh, Noni Madueke seemed to have come back out from the cold and he's a player that Pochettino now trusts. So they actually have quite a lot of options. And I think as players come back, he'll once again struggle with having a really big squad. Mudrich needs minutes to improve. Broya needs minutes for people to determine if he's got what it takes. But so does Nico Jackson. You want to kind of get that kind of combination of Fernandez, uh, Lavia. I say, though, working in some sort of tandem to understand how your team wants to set up. You want to plan the succession after Thiago Silva, etc., etc. But they got one game a week, you know? So they don't necessarily have enough games to give all the players the reps that need the reps. And they also need to get results. So it's going to be interesting to see how Pochettino balances all those kind of conflicting priorities because also it's also a results business. And Chelsea, with the money that they've spent and the quality that they have, finishing mid-tables just not on and for me it's probably a snackable offence if I'm being honest with you um, next question is from Inkstamist uh, were all of Arsenal's injury time winning goals an early sign of lack of creativity and ruthlessness rather than grit or winning mentality Dan Coots no um, because <clears throat> I think <clears throat> the only one I think when, I think when you put a team under pressure right like pressure burst pipes you get what I'm saying? So you only score late goals exactly. if you if you have them, you know, packed in their box, you're creating chances. And eventually, you know, something something goes your way because they're tired. So I think the actual issue is if you look at the last few games, we've not had that late surge because you know some of the manager substitutions, this and the other. So I look at Aston Villa game and we're losing. Then we took off Martinelli in like the 67th minute. Um, we didn't have another shot on goal after that, right? right. Similar to the West Ham, um, we took off Martinelli and we didn't have any like passes into the penalty box after he came off. You look at um, Fulham, uh, we took off Martinelli. We didn't have uh, 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 another shot on goal um, after Martinelli comes off, right? So it's, I look at this and I say, the manager's doing certain things to make us less threatening in these um, <coughs> scenarios when we're chasing the goal, whereas last season and earlier in the season, you know, he was making adjustments to make us more threatening. So I look at the Chelsea game where he took Jorginho off, put Rice at six, brought Havertz on, made us more threatening. We scored a late goal, uh, similar to uh, the Man City game. He made an adjustment. Party came on, uh, allows us to be more direct. Havertz came on, um, 
up, uh, Havertz went up top, sorry, um, instead of in Ketia, I think. And Tommy Asu came on, he made them forward runs, makes us more threatening. So um, I don't think it's, you know, uh, our lack of, I think people put too much in, like influence on mentality when actually the game is just played in your feet a lot of the time. So, you know, you need to have the weapons on the pitch. You need to have um, the correct setup um, to actually affect and destabilise a team's defence. And if you don't have that, you're not going to look that dangerous. So I think that's what it comes down to a lot of the time. Personally, I think people just make the decision retrospectively. If you go on to win the league, it's a hallmark of champions and the champions elect and they don't actually ever give up. If you end up not winning the league, but we were seeing in those games, they were just about getting the win. So I think there is really no rhyme or reason to it. And people then make a decision based on if, you, if you've if won at the end or not. So I, I don't take too, too, too much... Um, credence in those kind of things because you talk about champions elect wouldn't it be champions elect just to blow a team out of the water and batter them 3-0 no why is a, a, a late winner in a game when you weren't particularly good the mark of you being champion this is football man uh cool uh next question comes from uh seba mrxz never mind everyone's going in on arteta man um max 90 if a successful managerial career can add to the legacy of a former player, for example, Zidane, Cruyff, Pep, he's put Alonso in there, uh, early to tell. When do we start having a conversation about managerial managerial failures detracting from their legends? Rooney, Gerrard, Henri, Lampard. Idiotic. It's a separate, separate discussion. What a nonsense. Like, no. <laughs> like... All of a sudden, what so Rooney's not like a top player because he's not a good manager. What on, what on earth are we saying? Mm. <laughs> he's not, not a good player. I think he's talking about the player's legacy. So those, so for example, the Peps of this world, the Cruyffs, the Zidane's, being top managers or successful managers, I say, has only added to their legacy, only added to their legend. Right? He's asking that if you've been a top player and then you end up being a manager, no, I, I know what he's asking. It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. That's why is huh? it ridiculous? I'm going to play because devil's your advocate. playing career is different from your managerial the career. The devil is not employing anybody. You don't have to play devil's advocate. <laughs> he, he is. He is employing a lot of people, actually. <laughs> you, you're, you're right. You're right. I see them every day working very hard. <laughs> no, but... um, No, because I think... I think, like, it doesn't change what they did as a player, though. It doesn't impact... I think Zidane's legacy being enhanced is because he's excelled. Like, oh, yeah, my God, you're an amazing manager as well. Mm. I don't. I don't. I, I think once you're a player, that that thing is ironclad. You can only add to it. You can't detract from it unless no. you find out that I don't know. You would take him. I don't know. You do the bad thing, fam. I don't know what you're doing. The hyenas, stage and stuff. I mean, that's the only I felt like you were going through all the potential bad things you could say. Nope. 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 No. Nope. You know what? Let me just stick with burying hyenas in the in the middle of your pitch. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Cool. Uh, next question. Um, do panels think the top six forwards quality in general are at an all-time low in comparison to the past? From like from the likes of Mares, Hazard, Sanchez, Kane, etc., to Saka, Diaz, Mudrich, Nunes, Anthony, etc. Uh, first of all, I don't like Saka's name being in the list of, of those guys. That's that's nasty work. Yeah, that's, that's nasty work. work. That's nasty work. But I, yeah, I do think the overall quality is down. So if you pull all the like the front men. I think you have bona fide, undeniable world class in Holland right. and Salah, and then you have like okay, cool, top quality in Saka and Son, 
And then that's pretty much where it lays, ends, really and truly. Uh, oh, yeah, um, Rashford as well. Sorry, I forgot about Rash. Like, that's where it ends, really and truly. And Rash inconsistent. Um, Saka with his son still, Saka still building. Suddenly, we know where he is, top quality. But yeah, I, I, I think we also lack that. We were lacking like devastating players. Like, we had like Mane who could just beat people at will. We're lacking. A, a lot of that devastation, like from Vardy, mm. that people like Un unplayable guys, you know, that when yeah. they're on yeah. it, yeah, it's just unplayable, bro. It's just wrong. There's literally nobody really like that, fam. <laughs> like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, if Mane yeah. were active, it's something could do. Mares, Hazard, Gareth Bale, like those those type of players. It's just really like Harlan and Salah now, really and truly. And even yeah. Salah, he looks kind of nasty, but he's getting it cracking. Lead the league in goals and assists. Like this is like this is he's like wizards, wizards, wizards. Jordan era Salah. Yeah, or like a, 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 a hall of fame center. Like when his knees are gone, it's just post work, man. Yeah, just, just, just yeah, all bad. Tim Duncan last muscle, muscle memory, muscle memory. Honestly, it's yeah, not it's, pretty. It's, it's not it's pretty, but he's getting his twenty and ten, man. Every game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Salah right now, man. Got, got a question from James NUFC92. Shout out, James. He's a Newcastle fan who listens to the pod and constantly hey, thinks religiously. Yeah, I love that. I love he, that. He, 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 like, he, he said, I rep bug ball, man. Fuck you, man. He, said, yeah. he doesn't feel like we give Newcastle enough credit. I spent a few days in the comments going back and forth when we were explaining that you're not, you're not quite there, James. But his question this week, obviously Newcastle-centric. Has Anthony Gordon been the best left wing in the league this season? Six goals and five assists in 19 games. Six GA against the big six teams this season. Is it a discussion? Who are you comparing him with? Yeah, who was that in the conversation? So I guess Son, I feel like, did most of his goal scoring up top. So I don't know if it was... Doku, Doku's in there. Yeah, he has done good work on the left in recent times. But at the beginning yeah. of the season, it wasn't looking pretty on the left, to be honest. Agreed. Um, Doku, um, is yeah. so if, if we go through the teams, like, I think he's been better than Doku. Mm -hmm. Um... Sterling kind of plays a bit of everywhere, mainly on the right. So mm -hmm. maybe out. definitely better than whatever Arsenal are serving up. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of some of the better other than players. Better than Rashford. Yeah, easy peasy. Better yeah, than Rashford. Better than, been better than Diaz and better than yeah anything we've yeah, I'm, 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 I don't acknowledge any Liverpool attacker not named Mohamed Salah. Um, yeah. Honestly, it's a, a pretty fair shot. He's probably been the best. I'm not gonna cap. He probably has been the best. But this probably. goes back to our point earlier about maybe like we lack the kind of like devastating quality forwards that we've had in the past because but Anthony Gordon, part of it, but I do four think five years Gordon, ago, wouldn't be in that I, conversation. I do think Gordon is a very good footballer. Though. He is. He's like, very good. Very watching good. Gordon, I see a quality player. Yeah, and he's just he's just warming. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Good player. That's a dub for you, James. I don't want to hear this week that we're not fair. Yeah, man, we, we respect Gordon, man. Listen, we'll move on now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think all the rest of the questions are just thinly and not so thinly veiled digs at Arsenal. I think we've kind of answered all of those going through this week's pod. So, once again, gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time. Coogs, Mike's, always box office. The people always, always love it. It's a, it's a, it's a, interaction that there's respect but a lot of disrespect too and uh, just a genuine hatred between the two of you which i just love to watch as a host disu a pleasure as always uh gentlemen we do this again peace peace yo yo
stars in a rave. Man, I go hard like Santana. Sports Social Podcast Network.